So yesterday, Pfizer announced that it aims to make 10 to 20 million doses of a coronavirus uh, vaccine. It's developed this uh, with a German company, and they want to do this by the end of 2020 for emergency use should it pass tests. They've uh, already started uh, dosing the first humans in Germany. So that's a hopeful sign. Is this speed with which it's being developed unheard of, Dr. Bogosh? Uh, yes, it is. Uh, it certainly is. And it's incredible what you can do when you have basically all the world's brain power and infinite resources being poured into uh, understanding an infection and, and finding solutions out of this infection. Of course, you know, vaccines take time to develop. Uh, they're hard to develop. Uh, and there's a lot of failures in vaccine development. In fact, most are failures in vaccine development. And, uh, you know, on, on the one hand, when we hear this, we, I'm thinking like, yeah, sounds a little ambitious. We don't actually have evidence that there's a vaccine that works. But on the other hand, you know, it's very smart to develop the capacity to mass produce a vaccine before you actually have the vaccine. Because when you have evidence of an effective vaccine, now you all you already have the capacity to produce this in such quantities that you can start immunizing large swaths of the population. So that's a smart approach. But I think it's still too soon to say we have an effective vaccine or we're close to an effective vaccine because we're we're not. Uh, but we're well on that pathway. OK, I want to just go back here and ask you a few questions based on your answer. First off, why is a vaccine so difficult to develop? Um there's a lot of reasons. One is that all, you know, when we think about infections, not just viruses, but also bacteria, there's some nuances to how these, uh, you know, what the vaccine's going to look like, how it's designed, you know, can you get it to mimic or uh, resemble what you're trying to vaccinate against? Can you do it in a safe manner? And then the other question is like, you might have everything perfect in the lab. You might have the initial human trial saying, yeah, it looks like it's safe. And then at the end of the day, it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. Uh, and for, for a variety of reasons. So, you know, there are many hurdles to vaccine development. And if you look at, you know, for every hundred vaccines that are, uh, you know, even in the laboratory phase, it's probably about three or four percent might make them out to real world use. Uh, and, and, you know, that sounds negative or very pessimistic. But in all fairness, like we've got I think there's about 90 different teams working on vaccines now. So, and the, the, the interesting thing is everyone's using slightly different approaches. So, you know, yeah, certainly many of those are going to fail. But I'm pretty confident that, you know, there's going to be a few successful teams here. And uh, and that's that's fantastic. I mean, obviously, we, we, we need success. We need a win, especially on this front, because this is really a durable solution out of the mess that we're in right now. You also mentioned that it's kind of impressive that even before having a vaccine, they're men- mentioning that they would have the capability to mass produce that vaccine. So what goes into that? How do you get ready for that? Yeah, I mean, certainly just because you have a, let's say you have a trial or you have some study designed and, and, and you find out at the end of the day, you know, we enrolled blank number thousands of patients and we found that, you know, the vaccine was effective in preventing COVID-19. Fantastic, right? You know, maybe you find some world changing research you've got some research that says we've got an effective vaccine that's amazing that's the first step but you know the next question is a logistical issue okay there's about seven and a half billion people on planet earth how do we make enough vaccine for everybody how do we distribute it how do we you know ensure that we you know get the more vulnerable populations access to this first like how do we prioritize who gets what when and where like these are these are hard questions to answer of course you actually need the vaccine to administer. So if you develop the industrial complex to mass produce it, 
simultaneous with when you're actually developing the vaccine, you overcome one of those hurdles and you reduce the time it would require before, you know, coming up with this amazing vaccine and ensuring that people actually have access to it. So I, I think it's a smart approach. I've heard that more than 70 uh, COVID-19 vaccine candidates are being tested around the globe. Now, the thing that we don't talk about here is all of them are subject to regulatory approval. You can't use them en masse until you get the approval. So what goes into the approval process and can that be fast-tracked? Yeah, the approval process, you know, the bar is set very high, as it should be. I mean, these there's, of course, you know, uh, safety first. and, And I appreciate that we are in a global pandemic and, you know, not one person on earth has experienced uh, something like this before. You know, the last time we've had this was uh, 1918 was the last comparable significant pandemic um, of this magnitude. And, uh, you know, of course, we're we're looking to speed things along. Of course, we need uh, a way out of here, but it's got to be done safely. And uh, the regulatory uh, bodies, you know, of different countries and even at a global level, like the WHO, uh, they will look for a couple of things. One, they're going to look for efficacy. You know, does this work? And it's not going to necessarily be a yes, no question. Does this work? It's going to be a to what extent does this work? You know, does it reduce your risk by zero percent, by 100 percent, by something in between? Uh, and, and factored, of course, factored on top of that, they're going to be looking at safety data. You know, what are the short-term complications and medium-term complications of this vaccine? Now, do you think we're going to be looking for long-term complications? No, of course not. I mean, that's going to come out after the vaccine uh, has been introduced. And I appreciate that there's many people who might be listening who are, uh, for, for whatever reason, a little bit hesitant about vaccines or maybe very hesitant about vaccinations. And of course, there's other people out there who are listening, thinking, I'm not hesitant at all. I get my flu shot. Yeah, should year. we be appreciating yeah. those people? Yeah. I mean, they yeah. are putting people in danger, including themselves. Yeah. So I, I mean, I'm going to be very interested to see not if, but when we have a, a vaccine that's approved and, and available, how people who are hesitant towards vaccinations will be acting in this matter. I, I just It'll be an interesting sociological experiment for for lack of a better word it's just you know here's a here's a potentially dangerous infection we know it can affect you know vulnerable populations and are people who are not really uh amenable to getting a vaccine in the first place are they going to in the in the context of a global pandemic would they be more amenable to getting it now i i I certainly hope so yeah i want to i want to ask you about the regulatory approval because would it be several steps you know say italy uh, comes up with a vaccine first. Let's just, uh, this is a hypothetical. And then they get the regulatory approval from their body. And we decide, okay, we're going to use that as well. Does it have to go through approval from our body in oh, order yeah. to use it? Oh, so yeah. there's Absolutely. several Health steps Canada. to this. It's oh, not yeah. just oh, one. Yeah. No, of course. Interesting. Of course. Of course. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it absolutely does. Well, listen, nothing's going to go, nothing's going to be used in Canada without Health Canada's approval. And of course, the provincial uh, health bodies will will have to look at this as well. So there'll be a federal and a provincial uh, evaluation. Uh, anything, if you put a COVID-19 stamp on something, though, right now, it's expedited. I think people right. are very appreciative that these are urgent issues. And, you know, honestly, I don't think, at least for the 
purpose of this pandemic, I don't think that our regulatory bodies are going to drag their heels on anything. I think this will be given the highest priority. Here's another interesting sort of related example. Um, there's these diagnostic tests uh, in the United States right now. They're called serology tests. People are talking yeah. about this because they talk about immunity passports. They tell you, have you been infected? Yes or no. Not are you infected now? Yes or no. It, it, it tests to see if you have the antibodies. Exactly. Exactly. Right. And, and the United States relaxed. The FDA relaxed some of their measures and allowed a lot of these tests into the country. And, you know, Kel Surprise, you know, a lot of these testers are useless. And now they're sort of backtracking. And many of the public health bodies are saying, oh, ho, ho, don't for a second believe the results if you have a serologic test that's positive. Um, and, and that's 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 the United States. That's, that's frightening. FDA. Exactly. Yeah. Now, Canada took a much smarter approach. They said, look, we appreciate that there's serology tests out there. And this is our one of our regular our major regulatory bodies. They said, we're not approving any of these yet because we're not actually sure that they work. And they appropriately dragged their heels. Now, many in Canada were saying, whoa, what's up, Canada? You know, our regulatory bodies are too slow. We need these tests. And yeah, we do need these tests, but we actually need to have the right tests and the right product. So, you know, I'm not saying Canada knocks it out of the park every time. We don't. But I think we're getting it right much more often than not during the course of the COVID-19 pandemic. And here's one example of our regulatory body doing well by saying, we're going to let these things in. We're just going to let the right ones in. And we don't know what the right ones are just yet. So we're not in the same mess that the United States is in right now. In fact, Health Canada, I think it was two Wednesdays ago, just uh, approved uh, testing um, for one of our own serology tests. We had uh, one of the developers on the program. I want to ask you uh, the, a question about treatments. You know, some of the treatments that we're hearing about involve treatments for Ebola. Can you adapt an existing vaccine to treat a new virus or is that impossible? Uh, you can. You certainly can. And it might not be the exact same vaccine, but it could be a component of the vaccine or the same vaccine technology. And, uh, and you can repurpose that to, uh, you know, to to cover COVID-19. Of course, every virus is going to have its nuances. Every vaccine is going to have its nuances. But in fact, I would think almost all of the, yeah, probably all, if not almost all, of the teams working on these vaccines are using pre-existing technologies, pre-existing techniques, similar methods, and are just sort of tweaking it slightly to uh, adapt to COVID-19. And that's smart, you know, because there's a track record of success with many of these techniques. So I think we have just a greater likelihood of having a, a successful vaccine. In the uh, the newscast at the top of the hour, we heard Sandy Salerno talking about how um, there have been more cases uh, in Italy, in northern Italy, of people that have contracted uh, coronavirus coming, getting a positive test again. There's a headline that South Korea says, that recovered coronavirus patients who test patients who tested positive again did not relapse. The test yeah. apparently picked up dead virus fragments. Do you want to expand on both those stories? Yeah, I mean, okay, so about two, maybe now three weeks ago, there was some chatter out of South Korea saying, you know, are people getting reinfected or relapsing with this infection? And, you know, most of us who follow this closely had a collective sigh and eye roll. And of course, We'd be foolish to think we know everything about this virus. Of course we don't. Of course we're humbled. Of course we're learning more about this virus day by day. But, uh, you know, when we hear that, the most likely scenario is that, you know, the kind of test that's being done 
can stay positive for weeks, like really up to six weeks in some people. So this is the one where you get a huge swab and it goes way in the back of your nose. It is not comfortable. Uh, and, and this is called a PCR test. So, you know, let's hypothetically say someone's sick, they get COVID-19, they get the PCR test, it's positive. Okay, great. You know, luckily most people recover, they do fine. And for whatever reason, they get another swab a couple of weeks later. They feel great, they look great, there's no issues, but that PCR test is still positive. Then a week later, that PCR test is still positive. Are they sick with COVID-19? More, more likely than not, no. Are they contagious to others with COVID-19? More likely than not, no, they are not. Uh, and it just takes some time for this test to turn negative because there are probably just shreds of the genetic material of the virus that are in the back of the nose that are gradually getting expelled. We're seeing this here in Canada. Like, let's be clear. This is like I'm seeing this, uh, you know, not infrequently in people we're following up with who are recovering from COVID-19 who had to get the people I'm seeing um, are needing to get a test done to return to work in a very invulnerable setting like hospitals. And, you know, it's just it's just not it's just not an uncommon scenario. It kind of drives us crazy because we know people are well. They feel right. well. And their test. Is but you can't send them back positive. if they come back with a positive. Can you? You're kind of stuck. Your hands are tied. Yeah, exactly. Like imagine you're going to go to like the you know, you're a, a healthcare provider on the, the, you know, the cancer ward of a children's hospital. Like even though that person is extraordinarily unlikely to be positive and to be able to transmit this infection, like you're not going to let that person back to work with vulnerable settings, because even if there's a 0.0001% chance that they can transmit the infection, it could be catastrophic. So, so you know, but, but no one believes that they're contagious or have been reinfected just because that test has turned back positive. I didn't expect us to go to testing again, but I just want to touch on this one story, and it's kind of personal in nature. I have a couple of friends who, uh, three members of the family believe they had coronavirus. And uh, they have all uh, they did the online test and they had all the symptoms. You know, we had uh, the achy eyeballs. We had the uh, fever, the chills, the f- extreme fatigue, the covid fingers and toes. I mean, they, they had the list of them. You name it. At least one of them had those symptoms and they had come back from the UK recently. And they've said that they have been to the testing center and not been tested. They've been turned away twice now why would you not test someone uh you know they they say assume that you've got it but those numbers are not being counted are they i mean this is just driving me crazy right like uh, come on i mean we have i don't know what to say anymore with, with with stuff like this you know we certainly have growing capacity and i would say probably near adequate capacity if you've crossed that threshold to go to a COVID 19 testing center you should get tested full stop you know, right. The, 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 it's, it's, one of the things they're it. hearing is, well, you've had it for five weeks, so you should be OK. But they're still, you know, experiencing okay. some of them but symptoms. That's a different scenario. That's a different scenario. That's that's. But wouldn't you still scenario. want to test or no? Well, I mean, because if they have the antibodies, then they could possibly be plasma donors. True. But you there's a few points there. Yeah. The test. You know, if you're sick now, if you actually have active symptoms currently and you go to the testing center I think you should get a test. I think that's that's a no-brainer. If you're completely well but had symptoms weeks ago, I'm not entirely sure that the test is going to be all that helpful, positive or negative. You just sort of, I'm not sure how helpful that would be because uh, mm-hmm. it's 
you know, but, um, uh, but, you know, a point taken, if people are symptomatic and if people are unwell enough to go to a COVID center, we do have the, we should have the capacity. And we know that there were, uh, at the low point, what about 2,600 tests being done in Ontario? Now it's gone up to about 13,000 ish tests per day in Ontario. So they're doing a lot better. There certainly is capacity. Uh, so I think if you've crossed that threshold, you should actually be tested. But you know, what's done in individual centers is, uh, I mean, I think there's some heterogeneity across the different centers. It's interesting, though, the mandate for testing, you can see there's, I, I have to paraphrase it, but the provincial mandate for testing is, um, you know, there's some physician discretion whether or not people right. can get a test. So if I was standing there and someone said, yeah, I have symptoms, my discretion would be, here's the test. You know, like, right. I really think there should be no, no, no barriers to getting this. Yeah, right up the nose, right away. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, Dr. Bogosh, it's always a pleasure to have you on, and I could speak to you for the whole hour. You're a fascinating individual, and you know so much about COVID-19, uh, and we're still learning new things every day, but uh, i got to let you go because we've got to get to traffic. Have a good one. Thanks for having me on. Cheers. Thanks for being here.